You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. I'm Stephen Roach, and this is Season 9, Episode 6. This episode is sponsored by Brightbell Creative, helping artists create meaningful marketing that rings true to your brand. See the show notes of this episode or visit brightbellcreative.com to learn how we can help give your creative work the platform it deserves. Sunlux is an experimental electronic trio whose music strives to question deeply held assumptions about how music is made. I'm not asking for release. The band started in 2008 as a solo project of founder Ryan Lott and then expanded to include the creative collaborations of Ian Chang and Rafiq Bhatia. Most recently, the band scored the new Daniels film, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, featuring collaborations with Mitski, David Byrne, Randy Newman, and Moses Sumney. I had the chance to talk with Ryan about his creative process, collaboration, and what it was like composing music for a bizarre film based on the multiverse, one which the New York Times has called an exuberant swirl of genre anarchy. If you've been following the Makers and Mystics podcast this season, you'll know that I've been talking with my guests about mental, emotional, and spiritual health for the creative artist. I asked Ryan for his comments on this subject as well, which I've made available for our patrons at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. This is Composing Through the Multiverse with Sunlux founder Ryan Lott. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time out to join me here on Makers and Mystics today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. I know you guys were on tour. Hopefully this will give you a moment of reprieve hiding out in the green room to talk with me some. <laughs> well, that is, that is uh, very true. In fact, uh, right now it's technically load-in time, so I, uh, I got to skip out on lifting heavy gear, which is pretty nice. Yes, so this is the perfect time for an interview then. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to talk with you today about Sunlux, about the film score for everything, everywhere, all at once. I also want to dive into you as a solo artist and and some of your own music. You know, I've been following Sunlux, listening to your music all the way back to, gosh, man, probably 2007, like the early, early days before you were a trio. Wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. Well, I'd love to start with you as an artist. And I know that Sunlux began as a solo project for you, but collaboration has always been a part of what you do. Yeah. Tell me why collaboration is important to your creative process. I think maybe one of the reasons collaboration is quite natural for me is that for my entire professional career, the one thing that hasn't ever stopped and started very early on was writing music for dance. Mm -hmm. And writing music for dance, collaborating with um, another medium, with choreographers and, and dancers is so rewarding and it's so inherently collaborative. And it's it's an exercise in which your own whims are not 
so much suppressed as they are discoverable. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you kind of need an outside influence to discover something about yourself. And dance has been a perfect vehicle for me to do that. Well, speaking of collaborating with dancers, you recently collaborated with Kyle Abraham and the Royal Ballet. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, my latest dance commission came from Kyle, a really brilliant, gifted choreographer who's really making waves internationally. He's bouncing around the world constantly. Lots of folks really recognizing him and his value and what he's bringing to the art form. And it was a real honor to get hit up. He hit me up and uh, he had been a fan of my music, my solo work for a while. And he already started dreaming up a new sectional ballet, which was his first collaboration with the Royal Ballet. Interestingly, their first commission of a black male choreographer, which is like, which is a really incredible, insane that it, it hadn't, hadn't happened yet, but also, you know, just very, uh, an insane honor to be a part of that um, landmark moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that just uh, completed its run at the Royal Ballet in London. Yeah, Um, beautiful. Yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. Your music has been characterized as this genre-bending, undefinable, amorphic sound. And yet there are these threads that find their way through all of the music that I would say are are consistent all the way back to 2011, those early days to present. But for you as an artist, what are some of the threads that tie it all together for you? Inspirationally speaking, what ties my music together is a curiosity to discover new ways do things and new kinds of sounds, um, constantly looking for new kinds of sounds. And I'm to a fault so interested in reinventing the wheel that when it comes time to perform, I'm virtually uninterested in performing things the way that they were recorded. You know, like yeah. I'm to a fault that I'm just really obsessed about, like just reinventing, I mean, reinventing. And it's a, it's a trademark of the Sunlux discography, constantly reinventing, reinventing and re-releasing new versions of songs. And then in addition to the discography, the way that we approach the stage is uh, we recognize the difference between the way we perceive music that is being performed live versus music that we have in our headphones Mm -hmm. and those two experiences are so different and as such there is reason to consider that there are opportunities to be discovered that align with our perception of live music Mm -hmm. that defaulting to the way you did it on the record will leave on the table Mm -hmm. and leave unexplored that so that curiosity just just kind of discover new sounds sounds hiding inside of other sounds mm-hmm. um, is a big is a big commonality between you know all my projects I 
I want to make music that is emotional and that contacts my emotional self. I want it to make me feel something very deeply. And so with ourselves as our own only litmus, I really make music that makes me emotional. With the intent, of course, that there's enough that I have in common with enough folks that this could potentially be something that resonates within others, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm very much consulting my own sympathetic vibrations to sound and to ideas um, in the process. I don't really want to make music that fascinates me intellectually unless it does something to my emotional state and that sensuous quality of music is something that I'm not willing to abandon on behalf of an intellectual curiosity mm-hmm. and vice versa so it's really that curiosity of my mind and a lot of times it's very geeky mm-hmm. very I'll have these very geeky ideas that just on paper are really fascinating to me. And then how they iterate just needs to be resonant emotionally with my own being. You will I'd love to know some of the thought process behind your lyric writing. Like, would you consider yourself a storyteller? Or would you say that your lyrics are autobiographical? Yes, in that they're generally very open-ended to interpretation. I've never thought of myself as a storyteller. And so to the extent that I am a lyricist, I'm not really intending to tell stories or develop a narrative that is something you're supposed to you know, follow. And <laughs> Right. But I do love the idea of lyrics as prompts for meditation and for kind of like bringing your own associations to things. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's, it's participatory. You leave room for the audience to have their own experience with what you're creating. Yeah. So, and I have my own experiences with those lyrics too. And I would imagine they might change for you over time. Like one lyric might mean something to you in one season and then it takes on a different meaning in another season. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's, that's one of the fun things about writing lyrics that are intentionally like kind of open doors for Mm -hmm. discovery is that it happens for me too. Yeah. And also, you know, hearing from fans and stuff, just people telling me what different songs mean to them and and that being a really fun part of discovering what a song is because a song piece of music isn't a piece of me you know it's it's it has its own life right and just learning about the life of that thing is really fascinating um like once it leaves you know the the tunnel through which it came it becomes everyone else's who experiences it you know Music is so incredible in that it affixes itself to your person, your your life, your life experiences. It, it, it's it's something that can accompany you, not just in the act of like an experience, but in a season of experiences. The the music that you are absorbing 
becomes part of those memories and becomes part of that, that broader experience. It becomes the air in the room, the scent of the restaurant or something. And I think that's like such an honor to like make something that will live not only its own big life, but will become in a very real way a fixed and part of the lives of so many other people. It's just a very weird, weird thing to thing to think about, you know? It's like your songs and compositions have a life of their own. I think so many artists feel that way, that we're more part of a process of discovery than we are actually creating this thing. It's, it's like the creative process, you even said it earlier, talking about how your songs change over time. And, and yeah. it's like, it's, we're all part of this ongoing process. My question for you is, when your ideas begin to grow beyond your original inception of them, what is your relationship to the music? How does that change? And when you're in the midst of, say, a songwriting process, how do you let those songs grow and shape? Do you just oversee it? Do you Are there times when you really want it to become this thing that you want it to be? Or do you lay back and let the song show you what it is? Well, just to clarify, it's not just that the music goes on to live its own life. It actually goes on to live the lives of other people. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And that's totally. what I think is so crazy is that it's, it's living the life of, you know, millions of other people, right. the lives of other, millions of other people with them. It's becoming a part of the fabric of their lives and their experiences. It's bananas. <laughs> um, so to answer your question about my relationship to the music as it evolves, in the process of its evolution, the relationship is extremely emotional, but also very sterile, very practical. It's like a committed sort of like life partnership. Ideally, you have passionate exchanges, but you also have just like the very practical mechanics of living life together, both beautiful in their own way. Um, but making a piece of music and bringing it to life, certainly bringing it to life beyond its making and into its like actual release and out into the world, it becomes less and less um, romantic. And then it becomes romantic again as it begins to work its, you know, do its work. Yeah on its own mm -hmm. very 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 much so you know you're always listening to listening for what the piece of music wants you can have big grand ideas and you should and you can have airtight plans and you should ish um <laughs> but what what i think cripples a lot of folks in the creative process is they can't let go of the what they thought they saw on the horizon of the process like th they imagine in their mind it must do this and it must sound like this and i must be saying i must wind up in the end saying this and saying it in a certain in this particular way all those things are like fine as starting points like um like having all these goals right you shouldn't just not have goals but they should be like 
the the direction in which you point like the bottle rocket you know but once that bottle rocket launches into the air it's gonna like spin and burst and do all kinds of crazy shit that if you're trying to build a, a giant tunnel for it all the way up 300 feet in the air so that it goes absolutely straight it's not going to be that fun to experience you know yeah. it's not going to do what it's designed to do you have to have your hands off of it or you'll you'll either it'll either destroy you or you'll destroy it you know um fireworks being a good analogy <laughs> so yeah so it's i think it's a healthy balance you know Yes. You got to stay remembering what your ultimate dream was and stay committed to what you know in your heart could be the ultimate version of the thing that you were making. At the same time, you need to be totally open-handed and mm-hmm. it's a very delicate balance. And I don't know that I, I think it's different for each project. Yeah. I would imagine that would be different for when you're writing music for Sunlux and when you're writing music as a film score. Yeah, and also just even writing as a band, you know, like with Sunlux, you know, it's a trio and everybody, you know, gets their say. And so I think that's entirely about inherently valuing the opinion of each member and knowing that while your creative idea feels 100% valid, it doesn't mean that a a differing creative idea is also not 100% valid. And recognizing, and maybe this is part of answering the previous question, is just recognizing that the destiny for each thing you're setting your mind to at the moment is not fixed, and that the paths it can take are myriad, and there's more than one beautiful outcome. Like a multiverse, perhaps, right? I do think that working in service of another person's vision is a unique, and I said it earlier in the interview, it's a unique way to discover something about yourself because you have the ability to bypass your own creative habits um, because you're getting nudged and encouraged and ideally inspired by something outside of yourself. This movie was that in spades. Well, this movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, has been described as an American absurdist comedy drama. (laughs) It's also been described as a multiverse love story. It's been called a swirl of genre anarchy, which is probably my favorite description of the movie. And uh, it sounds like an absolute playground, madhouse cacophony of creative explosion. That Talk about a, a bottle rocket. This, this seems like a bottle rocket of, of an experience. And um, one thing you were asked to do, if I'm correct, is to create musical identities for each universe that takes place in the film because again it's a it's a multiverse love story so you've got all these parallel universes taking place around the character's life (laughs) i don't even know how to set that up as a question but talk to me about this (laughs) yeah 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 
Yeah, yeah. This was uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, the directors, the Daniels, they hit us up. It was late fall 2019, pre-pandemic, pre-shooting, pre-casting. Wow. Reached out to us and they had been working on the script for years by that time. And they knew that music was going to be quite the puzzle. <laughs> and they knew that to some degree that the music would need to be genre referential. It would be respective of idioms that the film itself intended to embrace before turning them on their heads. Mm-hmm. But very much like the movie, the music needed to be absolutely its own thing that felt like nothing else that had no other film score that had ever been made. That was their goal. So they knew they didn't want like just, you know, Hollywood guy. And they also knew that they had, they love working with bands and artists, but they also knew that it would have to be, if they were going to work with a band, it would have to be a band that wouldn't just be really good at the thing that they do. It would have to be a band that brings that, but then is also going to be capable of exploding what it even means to be that band um, and to be those individuals. And for some reason, they had that faith in us to be that, that band. You know, they came to us and said, we've been thinking about you guys for a long time. And we've been like, temping with some of your music. And they were really excited about our work as solo artists as well as our work as a band. And I think that was, they were getting like four for one kind of um, by coming to us. And I mean, that's... So it's kind of like you guys are a multiverse of your own, right? I think we are. I think we are. And I think it's not something we really knew uh, the extent of, I think, until we began working on this. Yeah, so they hit us up and we started thinking about it because it sounded bananas and they sent us the script and then we realized bananas didn't even begin to describe how crazy this movie was going to be. It was so crazy on paper that I literally thought my PDF was messed up. <laughs> wow. Like, I just kept thinking that like pages got screwed up or something, like numbered wrong or something. So, so unexpected, like page to page. And it took me a while to get through it as a result because I'm like, what is going on, you know? And, you know, the version of that um, probably would have been like a four-hour movie. So it, it changed a lot, but even still, you know, my takeaway was like, well, what a cool honor to be asked to be to do this. And if we did it, it would be just an incredible way for us to, like a playground of op- creative opportunity to, to discover, you know, like my earlier point, just being curious about finding new ways and new sounds. And here, here was an excuse to do that every single day. But too bad it'll never bit it'll never get made because no one's gonna ever make this movie. <laughs> yeah, and then fast forward to today, and in like was it the first week it became the highest grossing film in America? Well, um, the sixth week of its release. So, so the, this movie has had an incredible growth trajectory. Began quietly because it's a very strange movie in some ways, and. But it's got such a massive heart and it 
I think it's got big arms for a huge number of people to to embrace a big big number of people, and um, it just didn't go down the second week in its release, and then then it didn't go down in its third week of release, and it didn't go down in its fourth week of release, which is almost unprecedented in modern cinema. And by the sixth week, in its sixth week, which is crazy, sixth week in theaters. Granted, this was like a random midweek day. It was the highest grossing movie in the United States. Really cool. Doctor Strange be damned, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This movie, you know, and Pixar and all this, you know, these massive movies with 10 times the budget, you know, that, that this movie was made with. And I think it's because it's a movie that absolutely sneaks up on you and it tells a story that an extremely large number of people I think it can relate to in some way but absolutely tells it in a way that has never been told before and the kind of heart and ingenuity and imagination that went into this movie totally apart from the music is just undeniable and I think as a cinematic experience I can say with confidence that on uniqueness alone, it wins, you know, it's just, you know, and, and people, the other thing is people are going back to see it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. um, I get messages from people all the time. They're saying, you know, I've seen this movie 11 times in theaters. Wow. That's really saying something. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Exactly. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> but it's sort of designed, it's such a maximalist movie that it's designed to be I'm kind of speaking for the Daniels here, but like, from my perspective, it seems to be designed very much to be too much to take in in just even like three or four viewings. I'm reading analyses and like little like things that people are discovering, you know, on Instagram or Twitter, like they'll post these in, these observations they made that I didn't discover for like a solid year working on this you know like we worked on this score for two and a half years and 14 16 months into it i would have these like revelations about something some iconography or some sort of symbols or like some parallels or whatever and people are you know tweeting these out having having seen it once or twice and i'm like whoa this is amazing people are picking up and like not only are they getting it they're getting it even more deeply than I than I did, you know, for um, in some ways uh, that I ever did, and I think that's partly because of my uh, my whiteness, my cisness, my maleness. Uh, you know, I think there's aspects to this movie that transcend, you know, even my ability to truly understand because of because of that, and, and that's exciting too because it's bigger than it, like you know to be a part of something that like folks are gonna completely be able to get more out of yeah, even than I can you know what that's an amazing feeling you know well I wonder if the success of the film not only speaks to the artistic and creative genius of the Daniels and everyone involved in making the film but if it also speaks to a collective need for deeper or even existential meaning in our lives and perhaps mm. for experiencing that meaning through a creative or in this case even a surrealistic lens yeah you mentioned several times as you were talking about the film having heart and how people were having emotional responses to it and discovering layers and layers of meaning inside the film 
beyond even your own observations after working on it for several years. I think someone described it as being a compassionate handling of existential and nihilistic concerns. So I suppose a question for you is, when you first read the script, did you recognize any of these deeper layers of meanings and did it convey the heart or the empathy it seems viewers are discovering in it? I mean, what was your initial response when you read the script? Yeah, so that's a good question. This movie, when we first watched it, I think the way it left off of the script, it, it didn't leap off of the page for me as being so warm and big-hearted and kind as it did realized. Mm -hmm. And when we first saw it, I was taken by surprise that my takeaway was that I felt so emotionally moved by the movie. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's designed to disarm you with its wackiness, its absurdity, its lewdness, its um, total lack of piety in order to get at something holy, you know? Wait, um, say that last part one more time. Abandoning piety to find holiness. Abandoning piety to arrive at holiness. That's an incredible thought. Yeah, I mean, it really is. And I, I um, once I got it, I realized what one of the, I think Quan was saying on the very first call that we had before we even read the script or they even sent it to us, it was that this movie would, you know, he wanted like big, beautiful melodies and he wanted to feel very emotional um, and very like tender and warm. And, you know, then when I got the script, it was that was confusing to me. But then when I saw it, realized I, I got it. I was like, oh yeah, wow. It's because I was yoking in my mind. I was yoking goodness, kindness, empathy, forgiveness, uh, reconciliation, redemption with the expectations based on everything I've ever seen and ever frankly imagined could be paired well with those qualities and and, and <laughs> Daniels are flipping everything on their head on its head and um and so it was just so surprising it, the path to the big picture that I just didn't get it until I saw it and then I was like oh shit this is really something and man like working I like working on this all three of us like working on this for years like we were crying all the time working on it you know it was very emotional um so yes, the metaphysical, the um, this sort of deeply spiritual connection that we made over time with the movie made for a an experience that was life changing um, and that was rewiring for us. Not just creatively speaking, but I think broadly speaking, I know to be suspicious of my assumptions of what is possible and what is not possible in a way that I never was before. This was a process of discovering that all kinds of things are possible and not only possible, but beautiful that um, 
just because they've never registered in my brain or have no alignment with my personal experience doesn't mean they aren't fantastically wonderful and very much possible. (laughs) Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me on the Makers and Mystics podcast. I hope you guys have a wonderful tour ahead of you. And I'm looking forward to seeing the film and to introducing your music to the Makers and Mystics community. So thanks so much for this time. You're welcome. Thank you so much. It was really nice talking to you, buddy. Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This episode was produced by me, Stephen Roach, with music provided by Sunlux. I want to say thank you to all of our patrons who support the Makers and Mystics podcast. Your generosity enables us to continue our work of advocating for the arts and the spiritual life. Contributing as little as $1 to $10 a month makes a huge difference in our ability to produce quality content and lift a voice of encouragement to artists and creatives around the world. Makers and Mystics is 100% patron-funded and independently produced. Please consider joining our creative collective today at patreon.com slash makersandmystics. We'll see you again next week. And until then, keep creating. The world needs your art. Oh my gosh, I just realized that somebody dropped off a dozen everything bagels in our um, dressing room. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.